Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What is up, fight fans? We welcome you into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio. Thank you so much for joining us here this week. If you're watching over on our YouTube page, thank you. Over on the Pluto TV boxing channel, Fubo Sports Network, you can catch the show there. And of course, over on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Got a great one planned for you today. Stephen Edwards, Bretman Boxing, joins the show to break down the big undisputed matchup this weekend. Jamel Charlo versus Brian Castaño for all four belts at 154 pounds. It's an historic matchup. We're going to get uh, the first undisputed champion at 154 in the four-belt era. Is it going to be Jamel Charlo, who is on quite a run right now, winner of seven of his last nine via knockout? And Brian Castaño, who is a ultimate volume puncher, uh, throws 84 punches around, which is tops at 154. And Charlo throws the least amount of punches at 154. That is 36. Uh, but like I said, he's knocked out seven of his last nine, Charlo. So stylistically, it's an outstanding fight. Uh, historically, it's an outstanding fight. If you keep in, in, in terms of the, you know, all the four belts being on the line. Uh, I want to get Brett Mann's thoughts. This guy has studied the 154 pounders uh, for over a decade now. He has extensive knowledge uh, on boxing, of course, and that division as a whole. So let's get to it. Here he is, Brett Mann, Stephen Edwards on Charlo and Castagna. All right, it's time to bring our guest this week on Inside Boxing Live. He's one of the best trainers in boxing. He's one of the best minds in the sport. It's also one of the best tweeters. Uh, yeah, if you're universally beloved on Twitter, especially boxing Twitter, then you're doing something right. Stephen Breadman Edwards. Stephen, talk, let's talk about boxing Twitter first. What a volatile place, but it seems like uh, you have some good opinions on there, man. I mean, I try. I actually state my opinions, and then I get off. I try not to listen to what those guys, some of the guys got to say, man, because they uh, – I'll probably block like one person a day. On there, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have at least one person chirping at you in your replies, because uh, it's one of the most everyone has an opinion uh, in boxing or thinks they know more than the next guy. And then especially on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, I go I look I find myself looking for your tweets and you have some great opinions, obviously great opinions on the fight game. Uh, one of the best trainers we got in the sport right now. And there's a big one this weekend. And I wanted to get you on the show for a number of reasons, but mostly because we have a battle at 154 pounds uh, between Jamel Charlo, who has three of the belts going up against Brian Castaño, who has the other undisputed gold at 154 uh, for the first time in the four belt era. And you have been studying the 154 pounders for a very long time, having trained Julian J rock uh, Williams, uh, so you know these guys. You know this weight class pretty, pretty good. Uh, let's talk about Jermel Charlo first. And I love Jermel Charlo's style that he has now incorporated over his last 10 fights. I'm calling it Canelo style, for lack of a better term. It's the low work rate. It's the high accuracy. I don't think Jermel would like to call it Canelo style. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has a problem with everything. Talk about like someone who has takes issue. But I think you kind of appreciate that. But it's the low work rate. It's the high accuracy. It's clean, explosive punching power. But it comes with a caveat. You could potentially give away rounds. And I love the, the style from Charlo because it's great theater to watch. But like I said, it's very, very dangerous. What is your take on Jamel Charlo over this nine-fight run that he's on? Um, I've probably seen about maybe 15 to 17 of his professional fights. So I've been watching him for a long, long time. 
And um, he has evolved. He used to be like a stick and mover. I can remember we was on the same card as him um, in uh, Montreal, I think 2014. He fought a dude named Charlie Oda. He actually got knocked down in that fight. And um, he was boxing and moving, totally different than he is now. Uh, uh, when we when he fought Harry uh, Yorgi, we was on the same card. He, he would just throw a double jab in the right hand. And um, But every once in a while, he would score like a one-punch KO. But he didn't have a lot of knockouts. It was weird. Like he had almost thirty fights with with no, with like ten knockouts. And um, after the Vanis Manor Rosen fight, he had a tough decision. And um, I think he changed trainers. Don't quote me on that. And then he fought uh, Joe Kemalcine, and he started knocking guys out. And uh, he just totally changed, man. And it takes a lot because he's went from a boxer, like a stick and move guy to a puncher. You got to have a lot of confidence in your chin. You got to have a lot of confidence in your punch. And if you notice, even now, he don't really have a lot of knockouts to have 35 fights. He only has like 18 knockouts. All of his knockouts have come recently. And um, I really respect what he did because a lot of guys, you know, they, they're not willing to do what he did as far as changing their styles. And he's like, you know, he's gambling and it's paying off for him. Um, He's only lost one fight, you know, but there is a flip side, you know, out, out of the elite fighters, you know, um, I think he's like top 10-ish, 15-ish in the world. He loses a lot of rounds, a lot. You know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, um, that I always liked the fight for Julian when I was training him. You know, now, you know, people say, oh, well, he would have knocked Julian out. But, you know, at one time, I think that Julian was farther along than he was mm -hmm. in terms of skills. You know, but he loses so many rounds. Like he lost a lot of rounds against Demetrius Hopkins. You know, I'm kind of going back on you a little bit. He lost mm -hmm. a lot of rounds in his title winning effort against um, John Jackson. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm talking about like six, seven rounds in a row. You know, um, he lost a lot of rounds against Tony Harrison in both fights. And that's off of Even sheer inactivity, right? Well, it's not just inactivity. You know, like he's not a defensive specialist. You know, so. Uh, Floyd Mayweather didn't throw a lot of punches either, but he didn't lose that many rounds. Floyd Mayweather had a low punch output, but he was a defensive specialist. Mm -hmm. So it's not just inactivity. It's the fact that he does get hit. But what he does is he has a great chin, Jamel. He concentrates and he doesn't panic when he loses rounds. You know, you guys don't understand sometimes, not saying you don't understand, but m maybe people may not know what happens in the corner a lot of times. Sometimes a guy loses a round or two and he comes back to the corner like, did I win that round? What's the score? <laughs> well, Jamel's kind of like, you know, he can lose rounds and it does not freak him out. You know, he may seem like a high strung guy outside of the ring, yeah. but in the ring he has, he has enough composure to lose a couple of rounds and stay with it, you know, and, and get his shot off, which I respect because everybody's not like that. Some guys lose rounds and they panic and they start, you know, fighting a counterproductive oh, yeah. fight. I mean, that's why I'm know? telling you. That's why I'd say it's a tightrope. You were seeing it from Canelo uh, yep. against Kovalev uh, more so than against Saunders. Uh, Saunders had a few good mm -hmm. rounds in the middle, but against Kovalev, I thought Canelo just didn't throw enough punches and he kept Kovalev in the fight. Uh, we just saw it with Javante Davis. Uh, he kept Barrios in the fight because he throws under 40 punches around just like uh, Jamel does. But the thing that those three punch, those three guys have in common is game changing power. Now, Jamel Charlo on the north side of 30, how much longer can you just depend on that power alone? Whereas you have to maybe I have to throw maybe more than, than 40 punches, especially against a guy like Brian Castagna. Um, You know, he's going to be what he's going to be at this stage. You know, I think 
that the thing that separates the Charlo brothers, you know, not I'm not getting into who's better than who because that's all subjective. Mm-hmm. But Jamal, um, he controls a fight more with his jab. If you notice, he has a higher punch output. Yes. He kind of posts up in the center of the ring. He controls a fight more with his jab. Neither one of them is a defensive specialist. You can hit either one of them. Mm-hmm. Where Jamel kind of bounces in and bounces out. He uses his legs more. He has a great jab, but it's not more of a controlling type of jab. You know, um, there's a myth in boxing that say you can't look for a knockout. You can look for a knockout. If you know what you're doing, you can look for a knockout. Because a lot of times, the volume puncher, how can I use this? The reason why a guy like Wilder, Canelo, mm-hmm. Davis, and Charlo can have that low punch output and still score knockouts is because it doesn't give you a chance to brace for their shots. Right. So like in baseball, if you throw fastball, 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 the whole entire game, I don't care if you're Nolan Ryan, um, the batters are going to be able to pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Where those kind of guys, you know, your eyes and your reflexes don't have a chance to brace for it constantly because they don't throw it that much, you know? So Jamel is not throwing his same power shot over and over and over and over. So it kind of catches you by surprise when he does open up on you because he's not overly extending it. Wilder's the same way. They say, well, he's the one chick pony and blah, 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 (laughs) blah. It's a damn good one trick though. But you don't have time. You, you don't have the repetition in your mind to constantly um, to, to, to get used to what they're doing to you. So when he hits you, it's like a sucker punch. It's a shocking kind of effect yeah. to it. Wow. You I never thought so, of it that way. I, that's really, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and yeah, one see, thing, one thing, Stephen, that bodes well, I think, for Charlo in this fight, crunching the numbers like we do at CompuBox, is obviously we just illustrated that he is a low-volume guy, Charlo. But the thing that that keeps him in these fights and how he's been victorious is he brings the volume down of his opponent. So therefore, Charlo is making his opponent fight his type of fight, which bodes well for him, especially against Castaño, who throws the most punches of any uh, 154 pounder per round at 84. Charlo was actually the least. So the fact that Charlo can bring his opponent's volume down, I think, bodes well for him in this fight. I agree. I think this fight comes down to two things. Will Brian Castano be Marcos Maidana in the first Floyd Mayweather fight, or will he be Marcos Maidana in the second Floyd Mayweather fight? And the first Floyd Mayweather fight, you know, people will wonder how a guy of Maidana's skill set can give somebody as good as Mayweather trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's because he didn't try to outthink it. He just was an animal. He was instinctive when he fought him. He didn't try to go out there and be too precise. He hit anything, arms, elbows, back of the head. He was a savage with him. In the second fight, he dropped his work rate down by about 30%, and it gave Mayweather time to think. Um, I'm, I think that if Castano, Castano doesn't have to throw 84 punches around, but if he could be at about 65, 70 punches around and not overthink this, and if his chin holds up, I'm telling you, Dan, it's a great chance for upset. Yeah. Reason why is one is because he's a better amateur than Jamel. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up because of the ability to score points. You know, it doesn't mean everything. Jamel has beaten better amateurs and he's turned out to have better uh, a better pro career than a lot of guys from the amateur has who were better amateurs than him, like Austin Trout. Mm-hmm. But the thing that shows up with the Charlo brothers is, is that neither one of them have become experts in scoring points and not getting points scored against them. 
You know, I think that's one of the reasons why Demetrius Andre will give him so much trouble. Not saying he would beat him, but he would give him a lot of yeah, trouble because he was a much better amateur than they were. And yeah. Brian Castano has a win over Earl Spence and Sergey Sergey Dermanchenko. Yep. He understands how to score points. And for a guy who throws as much punches as he does, mm-hmm. he uniquely is a really good defensive fighter. Yeah, 20%. He He's only getting hit with 20%. And yes. if you take a look at... Volume punchers. I mean, you don't have to be an expert to figure this out. You throw volume, you're leaving yourself open to be countered, leave yourself open to get hit. The fact that Castaño is only getting hit with around a 20% clip with a high percentage of the he's landing, throwing over 80 punches around. He's almost like a unicorn. A dude's like an anomaly. It's really, really high stuff, uh, uh, you know, high-skilled stuff in there. But going back to your point on, you know, I'm leaning towards Castaño as well a little bit. But the thing that is sticking in my mind is the fact that the fight is in Texas. It's in the home. Uh, it's in the home state of, of Charlo. This moment is made for Jamel Charlo. Uh, the judges in Texas are dicey. Judges are in, in every state are dicey, but extra in Texas. Go ahead. Who's going to be the judges for this fight? I, I don't know offhand. Because um, I can tell you my pick right now, and if I knew, <laughs> I could probably I find it if I had an assistant here. But it's Texas, and yeah, it's listen, hometown scoring. It's an issue, man. You know, I um. I remember when um, Austin Trout fought Canelo in Texas. We yep. fought on an undercard. And this is no lie. The ring surface was like this. Mm-hmm. Small ring. It was, so, it was so spongy. I'm like, Trout's going to lose. His legs are going to be gone. And his legs, if you look at his legs when he got hit, his legs, that that, rung, that ring sat your energy. Because before every fight, I walk out to the ring. And I see how the surface is to see, you know, if it's any dead spots or whatever in the ring. Yeah. It's just like a, it's it's a little caveat with boxing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Julian came back to the dressing room and was like, man, I can't move from this guy, man. That ring is too spongy. My legs are going to be burnt out. That's interesting. You know, so it's so many things that go on. Yeah, we saw it with Canelo. Remember with Canelo and, and Saunders? They made a big deal about the ring size. Uh, I had Chris Algieri on the show, and he, he broke it down for me. Ring size, uh, sponginess, right? For a guy like Canelo, yes. he wants – that spongy ring because he yeah. you know is a plot he's a plotting fighter he sits down on his yes. punches so yeah there so, are a lot of factors that's so why you know that's something you have to you're i know you're a gambling guy so that's something that you have to i haven't bet because i don't know what kind of ring and i don't know what kind of freaking um i'm sure you can find out they're going to have but i will say that you know all of my friends that are players in the gambling world i told them charlo by knockout or castano by decision if this mm-hmm. kid's chink could hold up you never know how a guy could take another guy's punches until he get in the ring. But if his chin can hold up and 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 he can kind of see Jamel's com- punches coming, mm-hmm. it's just going to be hard for Jamel to beat him unless Jamel – Jamel's going to actually have to raise the volume of his jab to control this fight. Right. Because the thing is, it's not that Jamel get hits a lot. He gets hit clean. You know, he does – if you look at his fights, he gets hit with clean shots because he's really not a defensive specialist. Yeah. So he really has to raise the volume of his jab. You know, whatever he's at as far as – and I don't really like to get into numbers because it's not football or basketball. It's boxing. Yeah, but Charlo throws has, averages under 20 jabs thrown around. It's well below uh, the average. Uh, he's probably going to have to raise the volume of his jab up to about 25, 30 jabs around mm-hmm. to control this kid because this kid gets up on you in the mid-range and he throws some nice, short, smooth punches, and he has a two-fisted attack. Yeah. Brian Castano can fight. I, I, actually, he was supposed to be Julian's first title defense. Wow. Um, that would have been a great fight. To, 
we're supposed to fight him December 7th, 2019, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I wanted to fight him because I, Julian throws more punches than what Jamel does. Yeah. But, um, um, I know he's a very capable fighter and he fought an excellent fight versus Patrick Textera that oh, a lot of people did not see. Textera's a long guy. Mm-hmm. He beat a good fighter to win the title. I believe he's a Southpaw. And Castano just took him apart. I yeah. didn't think Cast- he lost he's got great round. wins, man. He's got great. He didn't lose. Uh, I mean, if, I know we don't, I'm a stat guy. And and if you just look round by round, he outlanded him in every round. I mean, that's one way to yeah. use the stats and for even the, the biggest detractor. We'll Michelle say that. Michelle right, Soros. and he also had a draw with Lara. That was a yep. very, very close fight. But uh, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the 154-pound division and where it stands in boxing. And, you know, there it's interesting to look at this division. We're going to see a unification bout in it. We don't see a lot of unification bouts in a lot of these divisions. Uh, it's one of the most competitive divisions. I would say it's up there with 122 right now in terms of competitiveness. But the criticism, the detractors will tell you that, you know what, uh, you know, there isn't a, a superstar. There isn't like the best talent in there. Where do you stand on on that type of argument at 154? I think that, um, you know, a lot of times the powers that be allow a star to emerge in a division, you know, and um, I mean, 140 has a unified champion and Josh Taylor is not what you call a superstar. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of detractors and people always, you know, want to criticize about a lot of the guys at 154 have a loss or a draw. They don't have a perfect record, but there's no division in boxing where the top 10 guys are fighting each other this often. And if you fight a top 10 ring magazine rated guy in this prom on a consistent basis, you're going to take a loss every now and then. It's just how it is. So when I say that, I say, let the other guys in the other divisions, the top two, three, four, five, six guys all the way down, fight each other on a consistent basis, and they will have a loss too. Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence, I love both of them. I think they're both fabulous fighters. They don't have a loss because they haven't fought each other. You know, you want to see somebody get a loss? Let one of them fight Jerron Ennis. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so these guys aren't going guys, anywhere near Ennis right now. Exactly. It's crazy. You, you're absolutely right. Fight each other. Yep. You're going to take a loss. I don't care whatever you're in. Yep. If you fight five or six of the top guys in their primes on a consistent basis, you will lose a fight. But if you're allowed to cherry pick and you're allowed to pick a hand-picked opponent, you know, and take off and, you know, and be kind of um, disingenuous with the matchmaking, you won't lose. So you're no, not going to have no. a perfect record. You're right. You know, even Canelo, as good as he is, and I think he's excellent. When he fought Trout, controversial decision. Mm-hmm. When he fought Mayweather, he lost. When Lara. he fought Lara, controversial decision. Those are three fights. He could be 0-3 in those fights. Yep. You know why? Because if you fight a top guy in their prom, that's what happened. But the media, they won't tell you that. They'll make it seem like there's nobody that has star power at 154. <laughs> yeah. But if they all fight each other the no. same way they all give Canelo all of these props, everybody's going to lose if you do that. You no, know what right. I mean? Like, like Saturday night. Jamel's either going to have two losses or Castano's going to have his first oh, loss. You're right. It's it's exactly what I've been saying for, for years. One, 154, it's what boxing should look like in every division. We should yearn mm-hmm. for that. You almost have to reprogram boxing fans' minds, get it back to the 80s and, the, and all that. Lastly, last thing, uh, Charlo has talked about going up to 160. Should he be victorious? How do you think he'll fare at 160? Oh, I think he'll be fine. All of these guys walking around 30 pounds above the weigh-in weight, they all lie about their weight. He'll be just fine at 160. 
Um, his brother only has one belt, so they don't have to fight. There's three more belts out there available, and he'll be fine in 160. He'll have a quickness advantage over most of those guys, and he'll get the he'll get to have six more pounds of carbs and uh, liquid on his body. He'll be just fine. Trust me. Last every fighter in his era could move up if they wanted to. Last last thing here, Spence Pacquiao. How does how does it play out? Uh, I think Pacquiao is just too small and too old, mm -hmm. but boy, oh boy, I'm telling you right now, Earl Spence has his work cut out because Manny Pacquiao is a rare guy. He's one of those kind of guys that comes along like once every 30 or 40 years where, you know, he can, he, he's like, he's a master. He's seen so much in the boxing ring. He can hit you with punches. He understands how to contort his body. He catches punches. He knows how to move in and out with his feet. He doesn't have the work volume that he that he used to have, which 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 is the reason why I'm picking Earl Spence because Earl Spence length. Earl Spence fought at 152 in the amateurs, believe mm -hmm. it or not, and he gave Julian his last amateur loss, wow. um, the USA Championships in 2009, I believe. Uh, so he's a big guy. He's one of the, if you notice, none of these 47 pounders have moved up to 54 because none of them have the dimensions to move up and win the title at 54. No, that's a good point. From this era, not one of them have moved up and even tried to fight for at 54. Well, right. Earl Spence is the only one that has, he's over 5'9", he has a 72 inch reach. He's the only one whose dimensions match up with guys at 154. And Pacquiao's a little too small. Yeah. And I think Earl is going to just use that ramrod jab, mm -hmm. take a half a step back the way he did with Mikey Garcia. And you're just talking about the physicality of two men that are just, um, Built they're just too far apart in, in, in size. And it does matter when you're talking about a game of inches. But Pacquiao's the more talented fighter. Yeah, He's the more blessed fighter as far as God given um you know um talent what God gave you as far as his speed and his and and things like that. So I expect us to see a um Hagler Duran type of fight. <laughs> wow. Whereas the bigger fighter wins, but Earl Spence probably is going to take some criticism for this fight being as competitive as it is because mm -hmm. people are going to kind of think that he should knock Manny Pacquiao out when they see them together and Earl Spence is yep. this much taller and this much longer but I, I think it's going to be an 8-4 7-5 mm -hmm. type of close and he better not let that crowd get on Manny's side because Manny's the more dynamic fighter yes. and what happens when the crowd start getting on his side even if the punches aren't landing mm -hmm. you know the narrative of the fight and what people think is going on with the fight, like a Michael Spinks, Larry Holmes kind of thing where the yeah. crowd was on Spinks' side and the Ray Leonard, um, Marvin Hagler type of thing when the crowd was on, crowd was on Leonard's side. Peggy Al has that kind of dynamic aura about him. Of course. That kind of start, and the Filipino fans start going crazy. I'm telling you, Earl, Earl Spence got a fight on his hands, man. No, oh, I said it. Yeah, I said the same thing. I said the same thing for a PBC special I appeared on. I think that Spence, he's been on some big stages, but none quite like this. All the pressure is going to be on his side. I love yes. that fight. I love this fight this weekend at 154. I really enjoyed talking to you, man. I really enjoy it. We had some technical issues, and you hop back on with me. I appreciate that. Uh, I think you do a great job training, obviously, and also putting, uh, you know, things into perspective so i appreciate the time steven Bredman edwards check him out on twitter don't get blocked by him he sp <laughs> speaks the truth thanks a lot man appreciate you man thanks